0: The Pinball Network is online. Launching Final Round Pinball Podcast. It's player versus player and player versus machine. Welcome to the final round.
1: Hello once again, my name is Jeff Teolis.
0: My name is Martin Robbins. Welcome everybody to the final round pinball podcast.
1: Episode 10. Yeah, double digits. Middle finger to the single digits because that's all you are. (laughs) You know, combined with head to head and pinball profile, we've done hundreds and hundreds of these. But together, to be double digits, 10, it's a big deal.
0: Well, technically, we've also done episodes together on Pinball Profile and on Head to Head,
1: so they surely count as well. Some on Slam Till podcast for that reason, too. I guess what we're trying to say is we are the frickin' anchor of this pinball network. Without (laughs) us, they're dead in the water. They should be (laughs) worshipping the ground we walk on. I'm just saying that. I'm trying to be humble, but you know you feel it too, don't you, Marty?
0: I, I do. It's very hard to be humble. (laughs)
1: And now with episode 10 Keith Elwin's next game Like try to catch up to final round It's an uphill climb baby Because this show is going to blow stuff up I'm telling you
0: Yeah if you want to know everything about Keith's next game Sure we may or may not tell you
1: How dare you You know I've got the goods Marty And you're going to hear it soon But I'm going to just dangle it out there for a little bit longer All right, No scrubbing no fast forwarding Because you might miss it Correct you are just going to have to listen to this whole thing which I'm sure you do. Most people should honestly listen to it 3 or 4 times. It's that good of a show. And I, I it's hard to reach around and pat myself on the back, but
0: <gasps> It's hard to what? It's hard to reach around and pat yourself <laughs> on the back.
1: There are reach two around separate I can things do. But, yeah. <laughs> Get your freaking head out of the gutter. Yeah. 10 episodes all quality. We have children listening who are horrified, <laughs> but they're listening, so we got to be careful. One of these days, we will do a family-friendly show.
0: Well, we may do.
1: That's another tease.
0: It really is.
1: For us, I guess. Let's tell people what we've been up to for the last couple of weeks. How about you, Marty?
0: So I've, I've obviously been streaming, and I've still been trying to get my head into this whole IFPA challenge thing, and I've been effectively issuing people challenges on stream so they can challenge me to do whatever they want. And so my next stream, well, after I'm going to be streaming Lord of the Rings because I have finally, finally repaired it. A good friend of mine, Lucas, came over a couple of nights ago and repaired it.
1: I love that you say I have repaired it and then, oh, Lucas did it. Well. What'd you do? Take off the glass?
0: I was the project manager on this.
1: (laughs) Did you have a little safety
0: hat? (laughs) And I did actually take the glass off, so the. There was that. But, you know, I I oversaw. I provided refreshments. So that happened. So, (laughs) again, I'm just going to be saying to people, you can challenge me on any one of my four machines, to any one of my many machines. And I've got to get that challenge in the next game. Otherwise, it's over.
1: I am getting ready to do my first ICR challenge only From the guy who uh, was recently noted on IFPA as the number one ICR player, Nick Greenan, here in Ontario. He wanted to challenge me to World Cup Soccer 94. We haven't played yet. I've been busy and stuff, but uh, that is coming soon. Coming for you, Nick. I'm in trouble. The guy knocked me out in the Ontario finals too. This kid's amazing. He's 16, 17 years old. Like many great kids, uh, this guy's got my number, but... I'm brushing up on World Cup soccer. Let's just say that.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you an interesting thing about streaming this week that was that sort of came out, I guess, is that, and I can't remember who they're called, but whoever is the governing body of copyright for the music industry is now cracking down on Twitch streams. So you've watched my stream and you know how much I love playing music. I can no longer do that.
1: What if it's music from the game itself? Like if you were to stream a music pin, Metallica, ACDC, and that's in...
0: Well, funny you should say that, because whenever I streamed Iron Maiden in the past, they would mute out certain songs of the whole stream because it's copyright protected, even though it's in the game.
1: How do I feel about that? This is the first I'm hearing of it, so I'm trying to figure out how I feel about that.
0: Well, because if if you're, let's say you're commentating and the music's in the background, it doesn't just cut the music out, it cuts the all audio out so if you're talking about the game you're talking about the rules and it's got the the music in the background you can't hear any of it so uh, i mean i guess from their perspective they don't care you're playing music that's copyright so they're going to mute it out but it's you know i think it's just making it now difficult for you to play a machine as intended particularly if it's a music pin
1: twitch youtube now doing this i know that youtube's been doing it for a long time I certainly feel for the artists, the creators of the music, because especially the way the music industry is now, they're not getting paid a lot. And name a record store, first of all, uh, for example, or last time you bought a physical CD, the streaming services, illegal downloads, all that kind of thing has really hurt the business. So they have to monetize, I guess, some way. And if Twitch and YouTube are making money for the providers and they're using that copyrighted material, yeah, they're not getting their cut. Uh, no different than, like, DJs at a wedding. They have to pay royalties for the songs they play. Radio stations do the same thing. I guess it would be the same for Twitch and YouTube. No different than TVs and movies.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of... I look at it and I say, well, it's it's, it's unfortunate for me. There goes my disco nights. They're, they're now a thing of the past.
1: You have to watch them live, which I have, and they are great. No,
0: but, no, but apparently they're now monitoring them and... Threatening to shut them down live.
1: Yeah, I think that's talk. How are they going to monitor that? I, I well, I don't know.
0: What I know is that it usually takes about I reckon about eight or nine hours after I've finished my stream for them to put a strike on the stream on the the VOD the video on demand. So that's the algorithm doing its work. So maybe they've just improved it so it can monitor it live. I I don't know. Or maybe they're they're just targeting people that have got a lot of viewers. So maybe I'm safe.
1: Well, you're playing copyrighted disco music. I loved when you had Boniam on there recently. (laughs) And Saron, I thought that was pretty amazing. Maybe you're just going to have to sing it.
0: Yeah. No algorithm will actually pick the song if I'm singing it.
1: (laughs) No, I have to agree. But uh, they are very, very enjoyable. And speaking of your streams, boy, oh, boy, I saw you put on a clinic. And everyone is going to get to benefit from that right now here on Final Round Pinball Podcast. Marty streamed Guardians of the Galaxy at James and Jackie. So he right now is going to tell you how to play that game because he's got it like the back of his hand. Go ahead, Marty.
0: Uh, funny. In in my defense, because obviously he's he's, you know, talking about the fact that I was pretty crap on it. I really haven't played the game that much. And... You know, it's it's one of those ones where you've got to do the thing in a certain order. And I just had no idea of the order. I want more time on it because I really, really like that game from the from the way it looks, the way it shoots. I really like the rule set. I'm just not good at playing it. So there you go.
1: It is an amazing shooting game. It always was, even from code number one, when it was just Groot Multiball Day, and then it became Orb Multiball Day. Yeah. And now it's not. It's... It's not the hardest wizard mode to get to, but it's rewarding every time. I've done it a handful of times on my machine. It's different when you own a machine. It also helps when you're one of the top players in the world. That aside. Mm-hmm. hmm It shoots great, and there are a lot of fun things. So I was giving you, James and Jackie, some suggestions. Here's my path to, first of all, get to Cherry Bomb. That's the first kind of mini wizard mode you have to get to, which is completing four of the modes entirely. And these are the best modes to go for, I think, when you bring in certain multi balls. when you look at the bonus it provides after every ball. And I think that order was Yaka Arrow, Pod Chase, Sibling Rivalry, and likely the Orb multiball shot. Antiquities? Yeah. If you have a lot of shot multipliers, you might want to bring in quill because it's a great way to get points up. You won't probably complete quills because it's really hard to do. You usually kind of get a head start on it and then have to go back and bring a multi ball into it because there are so many shots that you can see in the top left-hand corner, of those bars. But if you want to get to Cherry Bomb, I think those are the four modes to go for. And then the next one is Immolation Initiative, which is you have to have half of all the modes done. There are eight modes, I guess 10 when you include the two multi balls. And if you've completed half of them, you'll see it kind of flash on the play field. If you have them all solid, then you're ready for save Xandar, which is the final wizard mode. So you didn't quite get there. You were super close. I was watching and uh, yeah, it's a fun game. It, It certainly provided me a lot of entertainment. I'll tell you that.
0: Hmm. Again, look, the thing I didn't like about it was feeling like I have to follow a set path. I I like feeling like I've got choice. And, you know, every time I would choose something, people would be screaming out saying, oh, you picked the wrong mode. It's like, yeah, but I just want to have fun. I want to be able to pick the one that I'm comfortable with because... That's going to make me feel good. That's going to make me get through the game longer. And eventually, if I'm going for save Xander, I've got to get through all these modes anyway. So just let me play it the way I want. And it's one of those ones where people are like, well, if you want score and if you want this, you have to do it a certain way. I don't like that.
1: Well, when people were telling you how to play it, you mainly were talking about James, who was basically <coughs> resting his chin on your shoulder while you were playing and talking to you, which I know you love, Marty.
0: Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't. That. It, was, it was actually people in chat were, were calling out as well. So... Anyway, I, I I like to explore games my way, and once I'm like, okay, I'm I'm I've hit a wall, I cannot get any further. Now tell me what I need to do.
1: Well, Marty, uh, thanks for asking me what I did uh, the last couple of weeks. So, so mm-hmm. uh, because I know you meant to ask. Um, <laughs> I released a few pinball profiles. Very, very proud uh, to release a wonderful one with Alex Ward, a great friend that uh, lives in Georgia. And we talked about all kinds of good things in that episode. And then I finally, after 17, 16 months released a recording I did with Mark Silk, who's the voice of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, He does many of the characters. Uh, Worked with Jerry Thompson for Stern Pinball. And that got some good feedback as well too it took forever for me to produce that we complain and joke about how long it takes me to produce these final round episodes that one really took a long time because i kind of screwed up the editing way back when
0: how many times do you think in that last 17 months do you think i've reached out to you to say have you done the mark silk interview yet
1: easily five times for sure. I know because it's a unique interview because first of all, a very, very talented individual, one of the best voiced actors you'll hear anywhere. And uh, yeah, I mean, you knew it was going to be entertaining and I think it was. So uh, glad to finally have released that. Yes, I'm Again, because I'm not selfish, I'm going to ask you another question, uh, Marty, about you. Okay. Um, did you watch any good movies this week? No? <laughs> I saw a good Will Ferrell movie. I mean, you must be a huge fan. Stop it. <laughs> I ask this because I don't know. Uh, you know, when you warm up on the microphone, you, you do mouth exercises. And sure. one of my favorite mouth exercises in the movie Anchorman, Will Ferrell's character, Ron Burgundy, does the dumbest mouth exercise ever. He does. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Like, yeah. just, it's funny as hell. No reference really to Marty. I'm like, you haven't seen Anchorman? That's not true, is it? Uh,
0: yeah, No, I... <laughs> I'm i laughing because we've obviously spoken about this, guys. Breaking the fourth wall. He knows that I am not a fan of Will Ferrell. What? That's... Who knew? And Anchorman, I've never seen. Wasn't there an Anchorman 2? Yes, there was. Yeah, also not seen. So...
1: What about old school? Old school Will Ferrell? Yes, with Vince Vaughn and Luke Wilson. It's amazing.
0: Okay, don't know that.
1: All right. Night of the Roxbury? Yes. What? No, I haven't seen that. Superstar? It's not.
0: With Molly Shannon? Yeah, surely you've seen that.
1: Haven't seen that. Probably went direct to video.
0: (laughs) I think it actually might have.
1: Those are your two Will Ferrell movies. Why don't you add to your holy shitty trinity of uh, Will Ferrell movies. Land of the Lost. Is that another one you've seen? What's Land of the Lost? Oh, you'd love it. Trust me. It's garbage. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully
0: he will redeem himself Because he does have a new movie coming out I think probably in about July, August um, And it's all about Eurovision I've spoken about Eurovision I love Eurovision And he plays uh, He's like like a band member in a, a duo That are trying to make it big in Eurovision And I've seen the trailer for it It looks hilarious So maybe he can redeem himself
1: Come on, Will Farrell, you can get Marty on board, all right? Mm, it's a hard ask. It is a hard ask. It shouldn't be a hard ask because you know he loves this show and <laughs> like so many celebrities, but we'll get to that down the road.
2: I mean, yeah, absolutely.
0: Enough about us. Enough already. Well, speaking of celebrities, pinball celebrities then.
1: You don't want me to prolong this any longer? We've teased them enough? Yes. Let's do it. Okay, Marty. No more dicking around. Time to get to the good stuff. Let's get to it. I have actually seen pictures of the game. You know me. I don't like to reveal anything. It's none of my business. I don't believe in that kind of you know speculation bullshit. But when you're sitting on something like this, you've got to... What am I going to do? I'm going
0: nuts. I got to... No, you got to share. You got to share. I am really keen to find out what you know. I think a lot of people are really keen... We, you know, we, we sort of said, you know, the, the second game, Jurassic Park, was the difficult second album, which clearly it wasn't because it was another masterpiece. So I think we're all even more keen to know what number three is going to be. So, Dish, tell me everything you know.
1: This is the first time you're hearing it, too. This is exciting. I thought I would share it on final round. So everyone is hearing it the first time. Here we go. Go for it. Okay. There are things when you look at Iron Maiden and you look at Jurassic Park, there are some similarities. So you're going to see that in the third game, too. There are not going to be two orbit shots. There is only going to be one. Think of it in Jurassic Park. There's only the right side. uh, And same, I guess, would be for Iron Baby. I think
0: think everyone knows the right orbit in Jurassic Park. Yep.
1: No, very well. Well, it's not an easy orbit, but I'm just saying. It's It's a fun shot, isn't it? Yep. It's a tough one, but same kind of thing here. So no two orbits. All right. No scoops. And Keith said this a long time ago. I never forgot it. He doesn't like scoops because it kind of slows the game down. Not going to see one on game three. Okay. A minimum of 3 flippers, all right? Maybe it'll be different yeah. for the Pro and the Premium, I don't know, but we're going to see at least 3 flippers. Okay. Incredible animation. I mean, that's something we certainly saw with Maiden, definitely with Jurassic Park. That's a must. I think Keith probably puts his foot down, you know, he's he's a bigwig now, Mr. Stern and stuff. <laughs> hey, look, you know who I am, blah blah blah. And so yeah, he's I mean, going to hammer he's going to be like that.
0: Hey, he gets the top people. They're like, "Oh, let's give him to the Elvin, yeah, whatever." Yeah,
1: exactly. Minimal action button activity. All right, Keith is old school. He doesn't believe in that. Hands should be at the sides. Think about it in Jurassic Park. Yeah, you got to hit it, but it's the ball is stopped many times. Yeah, oh.
0: yep, yeah. does it really well in Jurassic Park. So,
1: yep, yeah, okay. All right, no bashing away on that. There will be a quick multi-ball mode. I do know that Keith's the guy who's designing the rules, so you see that in Jurassic Park. There's one of the modes. I think two of the modes actually in Iron Maiden as well, because that again really helps the novice player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Expected.
0: Yeah. What is it called? Like chump multi-ball or something? I think it was referred to, something like that. Yeah, keep going.
1: Pretty much the same thing. I don't think you're going to see too many modes. Now, I know Jurassic Park had more than Iron Maiden, but Iron Maiden, pretty amazing. What, five modes? And then, of course, the wizards and all that. So probably six is the magic number here. I could be wrong, but I'm looking at six. It's hard to tell from the play field I'm looking at. But anyway, six.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, if you think about Jurassic Park, I mean, it's got a lot of... If you count all the paddocks, you would call them... Modes, I guess, but really, it's the control room that are the really sort of unique modes, I guess. And there's only four of them, so I would say, yep, keep it minimal.
1: I would expect some sort of language in the game that I have to get a dictionary to understand what the hell Keith's talking about. Because whether it's <laughs> whether it's paddocks or soul shards in Iron Maiden, what the hell is a soul shard? All right, Keith, uh, do I can I play the game, or do I got to get a bloody dictionary? All right. <laughs>
0: Do I have to get the history books out to understand what the hell's going on here? Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: He's already better than us. Now he has to prove he's smarter than us. Enough. All right, Keith, just give us the game, finally. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you can kind of tell he's got an obsession with goats. All right? So mm-hmm. I <laughs> assume there's going to be goats somewhere in there, some sort of Easter egg. It's his yep. thing.
0: Yep, it is.
1: And also, too, because he's got a lot of good feedback on it, somehow, some way. I'm going to look hard on the artwork, but maybe it's actually in a mode. Keith is either rocking or rolling tobacco in a pipe. One of the two things. (laughs) That pipe shot of him in Jurassic Park, that's a great look. Yeah, okay. And of course, that upper flipper is going to hit not one, but definitely at least two loops.
0: Yeah, which is good. I like how he's been able to incorporate, you know, sideways action up the second half of the play field. I think thats it's sort of really... I don't know, just gives you a lot of variety with shots rather than just being your stock standard fan layout. So,
1: yeah, good. So you're feeling pretty good now that you know a little bit about game number three?
0: Yeah, I do. I'm not sure where the, where you're getting this information from and whether it's
1: true. My minions. Great sources.
0: Really? Well, I've got a minion in particular that might be able to shed some light on the truths of your
1: rumours, so shall we bring him on? Uh, sure, whoever you think you got is... Uh, whatever, yeah, go ahead, whoever you think you got, good luck. Are you there, caller? Yes, yes, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
0: So, this is Keith Elwin. Keith Elwin, Ooh. I know, right? Aye, aye, aye. Loving, loving what you're going to do with this game, so... All those features, yeah, pretty good. What do you reckon?
3: Yeah, I've always wanted to do a Winston game, and
1: yeah, <laughs> just, it came up. Winston, his cat? <laughs> yes. Nice. Couldn't get the <laughs> license for craftwork, could you? <laughs> <laughs> Keith, I'm sorry I had to reveal everything there, but uh, hey, man, the truth hurts.
3: Yeah. You forgot the dual flippers on the left side.
1: Ooh, like <gasps> big game or...
3: Uh, Can't talk about it.
1: Okay. All right. All right. I understand. I respect the NDAs. I've got that. Keith, these are some of the things I've noticed about your first two games. So, I mean, there are things that, I don't know if there is a, you know, when you look at a Steve Ritchie game, you kind of go, oh, that's kind of that flow and all that kind of stuff. You kind of see it a lot with Borg as well too. Is there a Keith Elwin style? Was I kind of close? I hope not.
3: I'm trying to avoid that.
1: Okay. So everything I said was just bullshit apparently. All right. It's out the window.
0: (laughs) But do you go into designing a machine thinking, I have got to do something that stands alone, that is not comparable to anything else? Because I I would say that certainly Iron Maiden and Jurassic Park, when they came out, people were like, okay, this doesn't look like what we've seen before. Is that something that you intentionally aim to do?
3: Yes. I actually have a good story. Originally on Jurassic Park, the upper flipper was on the left side. That's where I wanted it because the Iron Maiden... You know, the upper flipper was kind of in the same area. So that's what I was shooting for. I just couldn't get it to work. So begrudgingly had to move it to the right side.
1: That would be totally a different layout. Um,
3: uh, no, no. It's basically flip-flop the uh, left ramp and the uh, pteranodon ramp and the sides of the pop bumpers. That was the original layout. Why couldn't
0: you get the shot to work? I mean, if it's just, I guess, flipped horizontally, but uh, is it because it has to be because of all the stuff that's happening around the right side with, with pop bumpers and everything, you couldn't get the entrance to the side ramp in exactly the same
3: location but just flipped? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't remember exactly why, but there are CADs out there that have that stuff on the left side.
1: So it did work in CAD, but not when you actually made the whiteboard?
3: <laughs> yeah, it worked on my napkin drawings, but uh,
0: not in real life. <laughs> so, So is that what you do? Do you draw something
3: first and then put it into CAD or are you working directly in CAD? I work directly in CAD. So what I do is I make an extremely rough draft. I'll do a one-to-one printout. I'll stick it on. I have a beat the clock in my office, which is an old ballet oh game. Oh, God. It's nice and, yeah. It, no, it's, it. ni- it's nice and flat and it makes a great table. So I'll put the printout on there and then I'll go grab uh, flipper bats, pop bumpers, yeah, whatever from the lab and I'll physically lay it out. Uh, I'll use the... Um, the rubber sleeves to kind of define shots. Like, okay, there's a ramp here, there's a loop here. And then I'll stand back and I'll look at it. And I was like, do these shots look makeable? And then uh, I'll make adjustments based on that.
0: So when do you know that you've got a layout that just shoots well and does everything that you need to do? Is it much further along into the process or is it at that stage and you go, okay, we're going to print,
3: there's no turning back? (laughs) I'm pretty good at looking at a model and knowing if it shoots well or not. So if I can look at it and say, yeah, this looks like a fine shot. This one looks like a hard shot, but makeable. Uh, then we'll, I'll go ahead and finalize it in CAD and then we'll uh, we'll test it out.
1: Are you given the theme before you lay out the game and then adjust the game towards the theme? Or if you are given the theme first, does that kind of give you the idea where you want to go?
3: The theme comes really early. Uh, Iron Maiden was obviously the only one that I didn't really know what I was working on until I got there. So that was the only one Jurassic Park I knew long in advance what I was working on.
1: Marty said on his Melbourne Silverball stream last night, when Guardians of the Galaxy was made, John Borg thought he might be working on Iron Maiden. Is that true?
3: Yeah, we kind of flip-flopped everything there. Yeah, I know uh, Borg kind of wanted to do it, but yeah, I think he was burned out on uh, music pins. So I volunteered.
1: Yeah, he did Kiss and Aerosmith. You're right. That's a good point. I didn't know that about Guardians and that that was possibly going to be Iron Maiden. I assume Groot would have been some sort of Eddie figure.
3: <laughs> I have some older uh, sketches I made, but uh, not, nothing really, uh, nothing even close to uh, marking anything up. Did you
0: always have in mind that you would be turning Archer into Iron Maiden? Or when you got to Stern, did you think, well, maybe I'll give a new layout a go? Or was it just, you no, know, time's ticking. I've already got this layout. Let's use it. or Did Stern pretty much say to you, you've got the layout, let's use it?
3: Yeah, yeah, they wanted me to use that layout. So obviously the tricky part was figuring out how the toys are going to work on Iron Maiden compared to Archer.
1: With Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just coming out by Stern Pinball, I heard Dwight Sullivan, I assume John Borg was doing the same thing. They watched a lot of episodes just to kind of get a feel for the modes and whatnot. I know with Iron Maiden, that wasn't exactly your go-to music. So you had to do a little bit of research there. Is that the case with you, with Jurassic Park, with Maiden, with any game that you're doing, just to kind of figure out where you want to go?
3: Yeah, you really have to. So for Iron Maiden, I actually downloaded all their stuff and listened to it on my drive to Chicago from California uh, on my way out there, because I just found out like weeks before I moved out that that's what I was going to be doing. So I downloaded all that, listened to it a couple dozen times on my trip out, and it's like, all right, yeah, I think I got kind of the grasp on the lyrics, and You know, try to focus on what the modes are going to be and how they're based on the lyrics and the songs, and uh, just went from there.
1: And a good way to keep you awake on the drive to Chicago, listening to Iron Maiden (laughs) as (laughs) you're driving.
3: It's funny. The first few times I listened to them, I was like, "Eh, "They're all right." And then, you know, as I was playing the game, it's like, "Wow, these guys really do have some energy." I give them that. And then, you know, by the end of the project, I actually really started liking some of their stuff. So it's funny how that works phenomenal live I will just tell you I have seen them live and
0: such an amazing amazing concert and amazing musicians and very intricate sort of sound as well but it's it's kind of in your face you know what I mean yeah yeah so one of the interesting things about what you've been able to do is I guess probably debunk some of the myths that people had about you because when it was announced you're going to be doing you know design people like oh tournament player, greatest player in the world, blah, 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 whatever, you know, move over. But you didn't actually, I mean, yes, you've got machines that are, are obviously good in tournaments as well. But as I said, you debunked that myth that people thought that it was just going to be focused on tournament play, ridiculously hard, and you've made them really accessible. I, I guess my question to you is what do you, you, what do you say to that when people sort of pigeonhole you as something else, when you
3: can actually do so much more? Well, people need to understand, first and foremost, at the time I was an operator, and I know super complex games do not earn. So when I uh, first took the gig with Iron Maiden, I was like, I'm going to do five modes, really straightforward, old school. You, You know, the mode doesn't start when you plunge the ball. You actually have to earn it. You have to shoot a couple shots, spell Eddie. Uh, I I just kind of wanted to bring an old-school feel, like a 90s feel, to a modern game and keep the modes. I wanted the modes, not very many modes, but I wanted them to be different. You know, you're doing different things. You're just not, shoot the ramps for 30 seconds. Like, you know, Icarus was the lone exception because I thought it was really fun to combo those ramps. So
0: So much fun comboing those really difficult ramps. Thank you very much for that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was the first mode we uh, actually did. I said. When I wrote it, I was just like, ah, this probably isn't going to be that fun. But uh, actually shooting it, it was like, this is actually pretty fun to try to keep this combo going. So it, it just it never evolved. It always stayed that way.
1: On that topic, you must be loving watching everyone do these 900 million death blows on Iron
3: Maiden. Ooh, I have a surprise for them in the next update.
1: There is going to be more updates because, I mean, that thing's a pretty perfect game. I can't believe we just heard that. Oh, well, if there isn't an, an update, there might be a surprise for people. Hold on a second, Keith, uh, if there's an update. By the way, I want to bring up something that Keith once told me. It was at Pinberg, all right? I mean, you want to talk about getting in my fucking head. I'm playing Jurassic Park, and I'm like, oh, loving the goats. He goes, all right, there's a little Easter egg in there for you. I'm like, oh, what is it? He goes, whenever you see a goat on the screen, smash the action button. So I did. So what happens? What happens when you hit the action button
0: when a goat appears, Jeff? Well, Keith, do you want to tell me? Uh, yeah, uh, not
1: much. Absolutely, fuck all. <laughs> nothing for you look silly
3: <laughs> you look silly doing it so that's worth it
1: and i kept it to myself i'm like i'm not gonna tell anybody else i might need this you know people know i hate the action button but why, why is he doing it i've looked like an ass for i don't know how many months now doing this thing thanks keith mm, yes but i, I has your
3: as your opinion on the open button changed yes yes uh i see its importance as a start button anything <laughs> else on top of that is gravy
1: Keith, even though you screwed me on Jurassic Park for hitting that thing, that is a great answer. I love, love, love hearing that. But I like the way you've used it in your games. I do like the way you've used it for the missiles in Jurassic Park. It's good. Um, I just don't want to be banging away on it endlessly. That's all.
3: Nope. I doubt I'll ever do that. But uh, you're welcome.
1: Thank you,
0: Keith. Well, the one thing that I think, you know, Jeff and I have spoken about it that that gets kind of a bit frustrating about the, the open button is when you've got to make that choice between flipping a ball or pressing a button and you know i think sometimes we we push the button when we should have hit the flipper and we lose a ball and that kind of seems a bit unfair what's really good about jurassic park is well first of all you know when you're doing the missile if the ball is behind the post it's okay the game has stopped it's fine you can quickly press it to whatever you want and make your missile shot one out of ten times if you're lucky but what's actually really good is if you're in a multi-ball, you also get that opportunity as well. So you're giving people choice to have the moment where it's measured and you've got time and also the moment where you've got to make a decision. Are you going to push the button or are you going to flip the ball? So,
3: Yeah, I got so much flack for that. People were like, well, how about you just use the flippers to select the mode? And I was like, okay, how's that going to work in multiball? Yeah. Uh, okay. Good, good point. <laughs> it's like no i want to choose it no crap i got to stop flipping to choose this mode no so yeah i like the extra frenetics of trying to wail in a thing during a multi-ball that's you know you don't get much time to make a selection all that's by design because it's supposed to be frenetic so it wasn't some oh, this is the best we can do under the circumstances No, the moat was entirely designed that way so you say oh you have like three seconds to make your selection and then boom
1: what was the joke you wanted to tell me about the goats Oh, I
3: just said, that wasn't me. That was one of our animators who just, he was going crazy. And so he was like, all right, we'll put this in, we'll put this in. And then finally we had so many videos that had goats in them. We're just like, yeah, we'll have it. So if you hit the fourth skill shot that it'll unlock these videos, these alternate videos. So to this day, people still don't know what that fourth skill shot does, but I'm telling you right now it unlocks a different set of videos.
1: In Jurassic park, there's the fourth skill shot. Marty, didn't I see you hit it on the super stream?
0: No, I got the, <laughs> which we we do joke about, I got the secret skill shot, which really, Keith, is not a secret at all when there's an insert flashing for it. So I wouldn't say that's secret. That's the only one I know, but I think he's referring to another
3: one, right? So the four-way skill shot, it's the last one.
0: Yeah, so this is left ramp, right ramp, side ramp, Oh. Yeah, well, so I've got that. So does that unlock alternate videos yes if you look
3: at the screen your your truck is no longer there you're now a goat
0: Uh i'm too busy playing
3: the freaking game <laughs> to look at the. <laughs> that's how you'll know you've unlocked it if you look up and the truck icon is replaced by a goat icon
1: you'll get the special videos all right there you go got it all right okay You have a great nostalgia for pinball history, and obviously you know so many different games as an owner-operator. I like when you bring things back that we haven't seen in a while. The post-up in Jurassic Park. not going to ask what's coming on the next game, even though I've clearly seen the whiteboard. Okay, I (laughs) haven't. It might have been a lie. But what are some of your favorite nostalgia things that we just don't see a lot of anymore, or can you say that? Spinner rules. Oh, yes. God, <laughs> you have no idea. You know I love spinners. <laughs> Shit, that's a, I should have put that on my list because you have a spinners in both games.
3: They're important. Mm-hmm. I will never make a game without a spinner. That As a child, I would only play games that had spinners because I thought they were so awesome.
1: Okay. But,
0: yeah, Jeff and I have been talking about this, about spinners, in the fact that, yep, they they make great sounds, and you know if you've got lights attached to them, flashes, they go off. But... Back in the day where you'd rip the spinner and all the points
3: were on the spinner, we need to bring that back. Yeah. I own a nine ball, which is obviously where that uh, spinner rule for Jurassic Park came from. It's like, I really like, you know, advancing the value to a point and then cashing it in. So with Jurassic, I figured, well, oh, I got four ramps and four lights. Uh, the ramps will light each one of these lights and then you cash it in when you're ready. So that's where that rule came from. And I love it. I think that's. Uh, I was really surprised that rule was never used again in
1: pinball. I've said many times my favorite spinner in pinball. I mean, I like Stargazer because there's three of them and you can set the values of certainly the top left and, and of course, you can multiply the other ones. But I've always enjoyed Space Shuttle, how you can swipe the targets and make it up to 7,000 a rip. The only problem with that game is, to me, that is the only part of the game and that's the kind of fine line you have to find. Yeah, you want the spinner to have some sort of increased value or cash out, but it can't be the whole game.
3: Yeah, that really, really big fan of that spinner but as you said uh, if you actually focus on it then yeah it becomes really unbalancing. But you know in the end it beats like uh, Swords of Fury which has two spinners on a loop which neither one really does anything so uh, I'll take that over the ladder. Anything else that you would like to, to bring back? Oh I'm
0: bringing something back, don't worry. Ah, Okay, my my big bad bear and I'll, I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again big points. If you're going to give us big points, give us fucking big points. Don't give me shitty points and call it big points is all I'm saying.
1: (coughs) What what are you talking about? Which one?
0: All of them, I gotta tell you. Although I think, I think Aerosmith is probably one that actually gives you some decent points. But for the most part, most machines that say big points, you kind of go, well, you've given me 10 million points and sure, that's some point.
1: (laughs) You were playing Guardians last night and you got big points. That's what it was, right? It was the 10 million. That's why you're thinking about this. No,
0: I, I... I'm it's why I'm thinking of it again but I, I often think about big points it's my big bugbear it is my yellow rules cards that Ryan complains about right and it's like we, if you get 10 million points and it says big points but I'm going for a billion score that 10 million really isn't big points you know what I'm saying it's like pops grow <laughs> yeah 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 agreed like I this is this is the thing is what I'm saying is that if you've got If you've got a spinner shot that is absolutely beautiful to hit, don't just give me a light show and some sounds, actually make it meaningful as well. I think it's a missed opportunity, that's kind of what I'm saying, and one of my least favourite rules in Star Trek, sure I'm going to talk about Star Trek again, is the the in-lanes increase the spinner value to not that much unless you then go to level three and you double that shot and then you go into double scoring. But for the most part, it's not incrementing it by a lot. And I think that's what you're sort of saying about pops as well. Increase pops value.
3: My favorite Star Trek mode is the away team destroy the drill where it's, uh, I think, what, 25k a spin? Yeah. Then all of a sudden it's a super fun thing to hit, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. But it's more so I'm, I'm complaining about the in lanes giving you a big light show and it's like well you've just really incremented it by bugger all so why did you give me the fanfare there's not fanfare there
1: can i ask a mechanical question about spinners sure are spinners now done by optos uh
3: designer's choice so on jurassic park the left ramp rides right on top of the spinner so we had to use a mechanical since the opto spinners sit a little more proud uh, we had no choice on that one but I could have if that wasn't the case.
1: Do you have a preference?
3: Oh, yeah. I love the opto spinners, like uh, Elvira.
0: Those are great. What is the difference when it comes to playing the game? Do they
3: feel different? Do they spin faster or slower? What is it? Less friction, so they spin longer.
1: Ah, that's it. Okay.
3: But obviously, then we adjust the rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's just not the same.
1: I first noticed it on Beatles. I don't know if that was the first time I noticed it, but first time I maybe paid attention to it. And I was like, okay, that's that's a little different. But the, the fact that you said less friction, that's everything. Have you never played Austin Powers? Not recently, no. Why, is that one? <laughs> that's
3: an Optic spinner, yeah. Mini-Me? Yeah, Mini-Me.
1: Yep. Oh, yeah, that would be a lot of friction.
0: Yeah, it, well, it probably have to be because you're moving a little toy around, so you wouldn't want much resistance on it.
3: Yeah. I believe that was Stern's first optic
1: spinner. Man, I don't pay attention.
3: Uh, Well, I think Police Force, you know, back in the day, that was an optic spinner. I'm sure there's others.
1: I didn't know it was designer's choice, but that kind of now makes sense to me. Okay, all right.
3: Yeah, like I said, the only downside is it comes with a much bigger footprint. So if you have room for it, great. If not, then mechanical.
1: So with COVID-19, you're working from home, I assume. I don't know if you're back in the factory or not. Yeah, I've been home for some time. Is it easier to work from home? I can't have everything at your disposal there. So what is the hardest part about being at home? Oh, I love it. You kidding? <laughs> <laughs> you
3: lo- <laughs> I had a 40-minute commute each way. This is great. Uh, obviously, the hardest part is uh, communicating with the software guys. But I think Rick and I have worked together now. This is our third game. So I think we pretty much read each other's minds. And he, uh, he sends me updates. I upload it on my Whitewood, and I give him feedback. And it's no big deal.
1: The other thing too with COVID-19, I mean, so many people sadly have been hit hard financially and so have you because Pinberg got canceled and that's a big part of your income. It's just as well because I have not really played pinball in three months or so. So Oh, yeah. relax, everybody. Keith's a little rusty. We're all fine now. We got a chance. Yeah. Give me a... We're,
3: we're, all, <laughs> we're all in
0: that same boat. So I still think if there's a degradation of skills... You've got a very high base you're coming down from. So. Yeah, but you know, back in
3: the day when I had a whole bunch of games at home, no problem. Oh, hmm. uh, yeah, fair enough.
0: But are you are you feeling... Because there's a lot of people that are feeling frustration. I mean, we, we've actually just started seeing some tournaments in Australia start back up with social distancing rules, etc. But, you know, from all the, the forums and the groups that I'm in, there's been just a lot of frustration because people haven't been able to play pinball if they don't have machines at home, like you now or even in tournaments, are you feeling that frustration or are you just kind of like, ah, I'm designing a pinball machine. It doesn't really matter.
3: <laughs> I just play video games all day now. It's it's fine.
1: Really? Yeah. Uh-oh, there's my next little thing about this next game. Six video modes.
0: <laughs> yep. Do you like video modes in pinball? <laughs> no, I do not.
3: Any at all? Uh, fishtails. Um, and... Shadow? fishtails. No, I hate shadow. Okay. I don't like that video mode. You don't like Dracula? Uh, shooting wolves? Not really. But it, uh, it's easy. I'll tell you, my second favorite is the mine card on Indiana Jones. Mm. Do you know the worst one?
0: I'm just going to put it out there. I'm sure people love this. Johnny Mnemonic. Like, what do you do?
3: No. It's just so hard to control. Lost World Jurassic Park is the worst. Really? I don't know that one.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that one either.
3: <laughs> You're lucky. Uh, you swing from a vine through a T-Rex's jaws, I believe.
1: As you would do? Sure, yeah. Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Doesn't sound like fun.
1: So no. You know, Marty was talking about tournaments and whatnot and people getting back together. Things are going to be a little more difficult there in Illinois now that uh, Raymond Davidson is there. And that Stern Pinball. That's got to be fun. I know you're not back in the office yet, but it'll be nice to see him. What do you got planned for him for initiation?
3: Well, I've been keeping him busy on my project, so he, I'll make sure he's nice and rusty for
1: uh, for states. Brilliant. <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking with the Sharps, with Jason Werder, who's great there, and, and just think of the stern people alone. You've got Zach, you've got Lyman, you've got yourself, Raymond's there. Tim Sexton is never going to see a high score in that building again. <laughs> Actually, Tim, uh, he pretty much had all the high scores in the, uh, in the factory. Not now. Is that because they the factory default? No, no,
3: since <laughs> he's, he's the only one that puts in his 15 minutes, the rest of us don't. Ah, that's it. It's just one of these thoughts that I think that people
0: have is because you're now designing a pinball machine, nuts and bolts. Does that change your
3: appreciation of playing pinball? Uh, yeah, you do look at it differently. Yeah. I look at the guys back in the day who had one month because my biggest complaint was, man, like a lot of these old EMs, they're they're so symmetrical. Yeah, then you read the stories. Yeah, I had one month to do this game. It's like, oh, I get it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, if you don't have time to test anything, then you got to play it safe. If half of it
1: works, then the other half should work. Let's go. What about criticisms you hear? I mean, I don't know if you go on Pinside. Once in a while, there may be a criticism on that site and the forums. How do you take that? Have you ever gotten any good advice from some of these suggestions or anything like that, or do you just kind of blow it all off?
3: No, yeah, I just make what I want to play. Hopefully everyone else likes it too. If not, you know, there's so many games out there that you're not going to make something that everyone's going to love, ever. So I don't even I don't even bother to try. I just make something I think is fun and try to make something that's different. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully people like it.
0: What have you learned going from Iron Maiden to Jurassic Park and now on to your next machine?
3: Uh, I thought Iron Maiden played a little too easy, a little too long. So I kind of, Pulled the needle in the other direction on Jurassic. I tried to make that a little uh, drainier game, a little faster, some tighter shots. So, uh, Animonics games would be kind of right in the middle there.
1: And when I was talking to George Gomez uh, just recently, he had mentioned about the, I think we saw it in the, the Stern of the Union address, where they talked about the, I don't know what the proper term was. It's basically you get to play a game if you're on location for a minimum of, let's say, three minutes. You can set it to whatever you want. Now, I think of when they do changes like this after the fact. If you're a designer, you didn't know this when you were making the game. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I mean, it's kind of out of your hands at that point. I see why they do it. You, again, being a former owner-operator, there's great benefits to having people have a enjoyable time playing a game and not feeling like, oh, that dollar just went like that. It's gone. Okay, at least they're getting three minutes, whether it's ball save or whatever the case may be. Where do you feel as a designer on this?
3: Yeah, I don't know when it came up with the, I call it the dynamic ball saver, and that's just based on myself as an operator watching people play. It's like, you know, the games cost a dollar these days, You, and if you're a complete novice player, you know, chances are you're going to have a, a sub-one-minute game and feel ripped off, but if you make the game too easy, then the expert player is going to play it all day, so I came up with the dynamic ball saves, where based on how you, well, you do, your you ball save either it gets longer or shorter, and uh also, the availability of multiple ball saves. So that was something we tested out for a year, and everyone, you know, there's no downside to it. So yeah, we finally released that. Uh, I think about a couple months ago, and uh, this should be all the games going forward should have that available.
1: Marty, he's basically saying he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good too. I just didn't know, uh, you know, if that was something that had been planned in advance. You know, I personally don't think Iron Maiden is too easy. You're a great player, Marty and I both play very well. Um, I still see some challenges to that game, but uh, that shocks me that you said you found it playing too long.
3: It definitely plays long, uh, especially compared to Jurassic. I think yes. But uh, Gary Stern is actually it's great working with him because he knows what he's talking about uh, when it comes to location players and casual players. So I I take everything he says seriously and I I base my designs around that. So we're now,
0: what is it, nine months? I think it's been... Has it been nine months since Jurassic Park came out? Almost a year. So, and it is number five on the Pinside Top 100. It is the highest rated Stern game. Iron Maiden is six... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you've got the two highest rated Stern games.
1: Um, are you trying to get them in trouble at work? Are you going to have people fighting and giving them <laughs> dirty looks? What are you doing? No, I've just...
0: Well, I guess what I'm saying is, like, do you feel pressure to back that up? Like, you've got two very
3: highly ranked games. You've now got your third. I tell you what, I'm really shocked Iron Maiden is top 10 based on the material. Because I remember when I was doing this project, just I was like, well... The people who love Iron Maiden are going to love this game. The people who do not like Iron Maiden are going to hate this game. So uh, it seems I've reached a few people who do not like the band, but like the game, and uh, that's, you know, I like that, because it knows that, hey, I made a fun pinball game, regardless of the theme. So it doesn't kind of answer my
0: question, though, about whether you're feeling pressure to back it up. No. You don't care? You're just like, I'm just going to do what I do, and if people like it, they do. If it ends up as being as good as Thunderbirds, so be it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I think I kind of have a handle on what's fun. I mean, I've been playing pinball my entire life. Uh, It's not like I'm trying radical new things. I'm basically just bringing the games I enjoyed, like everyone else from 80s and 90s, and you know, applying more modernized rule sets based on you know features we loved back then. And not trying to, you know, I play pinball. I know not all game designers do, but I do. I love pinball, and I I just want to design something I want to play regardless of my tournament pass or whatever. I mean, I wasn't always a tournament player. You know, 80s, early 90s, I didn't play in tournaments. I just, I played the game because I enjoyed it. Was there ever a time when you weren't good at pinball? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you break your arm, basically, in a <laughs> skateboarding accident and you are <laughs> one-handed?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember being bad. I used to go to the arcade, you know, rack up 10 credits and sell them. Uh, but I'm sure I was bad for a while, but I just don't remember.
1: Okay. Which game in the last five ten years was the hardest for you to master, or really get a grasp on it? And just beat the shit out of you. There's got to be one. Uh, I mean. Boy,
3: I don't know, man.
1: When it first came out, you're like, oh. The difference is if it's about making shots, you're going to make them because of your accuracy.
3: I would have to say Rolling Stones.
1: <laughs> Mick on a stick.
3: <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm because no thing. matter how accurate you are, that stupid thing comes out there and just whack and there goes your ball it's just like oh that's infuriating uh, it really is people think I'm being
0: irrational about my dislike of rolling stones but it's exactly that when you want shot satisfaction and if Mick wasn't there the shots are actually well placed it would actually flow quite nicely yeah, it's a great shooting game but then oh nope <laughs> 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 what every single time it's like it knows exactly which shot you are going to go
3: for and and just times it to be there just as you shoot. Okay, so NBA fast break that that Mick that uh, Tom Cooper designed for a uh, George's game there, where you know you're passing the ball back and forth at the holes, and then you got to shoot. That you could accurately predict where it's going and plan your shot around it. Uh, I don't know how Mick works. I don't know how the code works, but it just seems like no matter what shot you're shooting for, boom, there he goes. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. He knows.
1: He knows. Wait a second. A year ago, I recall being in May, you were there too in New York City, and I'm pretty sure, I can't remember if you yourself had to play it. I remember Stephen Bowden having to play it, and Raymond, Uh, Rolling Stone was there. Weren't you playing that as well? Yeah, and I did terrible. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why it's fresh in your mind. Alien
3: Star saved me, yes. Oh
1: God, that's a good game. You want to talk about a fun spinner. Holy moly.
3: Yeah, yeah. And my friend just uh, picked up The Games, uh, another one of those street-level games from the uh, early 80s. And I, I played at my friend Mike Vinegore's house, and that is just an amazing game that nobody knows about. Never heard just of like it. like Alien Star was. Yeah, exactly. You look at it, and you're like, well, that looks dumb. But when you're, when you're in there playing it, uh, to get the extra ball, you have to shoot two different targets that are really hard to hit. It's just it's just an amazing game that nobody knows about.
0: I'm just looking that up. Which ones? Who, who made that? Is that one of the Gottlieb street-levels?
3: Yeah, it's called The Games. The games. I've
1: never okay. even seen it.
3: Does Popeye have one?
1: I don't think so. I've never even heard of it. Mm. Yeah, basically,
3: you're competing in all these different decaf on events, and yeah, you know, the more you get, I think there's a multiplier, and then it's got more great spinner rules from that era. It's it's You guys would probably like it.
1: Anybody wanting to sell one right now, please get in touch with uh, Jeff Teolis. Uh, <laughs> fun, right. I think
3: there's only like four or five hundred of those made, so that's why you don't hear about it or see um, it. It's looks like it's before...
0: They changed the flippers to those really dreadful, pointy, upright flippers that just ruined the game. So Yeah, no, it's got nice snappy
3: flippers. Very target, captive ball. It's fun. It's just good old pinball fun.
1: A light just went off, Marty. Keith mentioned he's going to bring back something from the old days, and you're just talking about flippers. Game number three, (laughs) banana flippers. Rabbit flippers. Rabbits.
0: So it's interesting that you should come on... Uh, this week Keith because we actually had an email come through and I'll and I'll read it and then you'll understand why I'm referencing you with this so this is from Jesse who says as I'm relatively new to the competitive pinball scene I was thinking about pinball etiquette and how it might make for an interesting topic for you guys on the show not only for my own education but anyone else new to competitive play I'm sure you guys would come up with a list of things that you just do or don't do at a tournament and as soon as this email came through, I thought of you, Keith. Do you know why I thought of you?
2: Hmm.
3: Is this not Pinball 101 related?
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: yes it is.
3: it is. <laughs> you know that thing's like 11 years old now? No way. I I
0: was I was talking to, to Jeff about this all yesterday. And I was going to try and dig out the DVD because obviously I've got both of them. You're welcome.
1: Uh, he bought them secondhand, Keith. You didn't get any money out of it.
0: No, that's not true. I did actually buy them online directly from wherever they're available. So you and your brother can, you know, buy a new house with my purchase. Yeah. Yes. So you actually did this. You actually, and, and I was telling you, they're hilarious. But you've actually gone through this and talked about pinball etiquette with some funny videos. I think it was, it was on Pinball 101 was the etiquette one, wasn't it? Yes. So I felt, let's ask you. What are some of the do's and don't do's at a tournament when it comes to pinball etiquette? Me? Um, Well, you did a video on it. So surely, even though it was 11 years ago. Marty, that's called filler.
3: (laughs) 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 It was the highlight of the DVD for me. It was good. That turned out so much better than I thought it was. Oh, man. Yeah, that was just something. I think we made like three of them. And like, man, these are hilarious. We should do some more. So we went back and filmed more like six months later. It was like, God, these are great. Yeah, they, they turned out great. Yeah, I mean, not very much bothers me when I'm playing, but when somebody's kind of shadowing right behind you while you're playing, especially when no one else is around in the area, that that's probably my biggest peeve. That is actually, and Jeff knows this because he was watching it
0: last night, my biggest pet peeve is when somebody is there next to me, even worse, when they're... Talking to me I still remember a a tournament I was at And I think I might have been playing Kiss, it could have been And somebody was commentating My entire game To somebody else behind me (laughs) In a loud voice So, oh my god It was so annoying I'm not going to mention that it was Ryan C That was doing it, I think that would be unfair To mention his name
1: Oh, he just needs to hit Love (laughs) Gun right now Would you shut the hell up? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so annoying
0: it was it was kind of like he's got, he's got two balls
3: locked now he now needs to hit this the right ramp to start multiple it's like oh my god <laughs> it's funny you guys mention oh. that because when you're on the Pinberg stage in the finals you hear the commentary and it's just like well I'm not right now he's gonna try to do this and then, then i start second guessing myself I'm like no that's not what i'm doing <laughs> i was wondering whether you would hear that because i i questioned
0: that at the time and someone said oh no no because the the speakers are facing a different direction you can't hear it up on stage clearly that's not the case oh
1: you can definitely hear it
0: you can definitely hear it yeah and it is a bit off-putting for you i mean you still you still do amazing things
3: I try to tune it out, but it, it's funny because I'll have something in my mind, and then I'll hear. I was like, Nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that being said, I've never seen you ever wear headphones.
3: No, I'm pretty good at tuning. You know, I grew up in arcades. I grew up with little kids next to you pushing buttons, jumping up and down, screaming in your face. It, you know, I think you can ask the sharps. They grew up mocking each other when they played, and you can tell that you cannot bother them while they're playing. Well, it shows them how them the bad questions. their
1: play it, is, though
3: yeah that's true that's true
1: (laughs) i guess nothing can bother them but and that's it for you too boy it's uh i can think of five people in the pinball community and i have to wear headphones anytime i'm near them i have to and and i love all five of them it's just i'm like i nope, they're gonna say something yeah i I like hearing everything in
3: a game tilt warnings the mechanical sounds I, i can't wear headphones when i play yeah,
0: Jeff and I, we've talked about this and that it's, it's the balance of everything. So if you've got headphones on, you can't hear the machine and you, you don't get the, the audio cues of what you're meant to do. But the, the flip of that is if it's drowning out all the noise around you that's distracting, you've still got a net benefit of having headphones on. But that's only if you can tune these things out without headphones, then you've got it made and probably one of your, the ingredients of your recipe of success.
3: Yeah, like I said, I grew up talking to friends while we played. We'd mock each other, tease each other, interfere with each other's games. And it's just how I grew up playing. That's what we did.
1: But that is not good suggested etiquette for anyone going into a tournament. Uh, It's it's something you can do with your friends for sure. It might rub some people the wrong way. Uh, There are other things in tournaments that are just, boy, we've really got to straighten this up because this isn't good etiquette. Uh,
3: I guess as a tournament player, one of my peeves is when adjustments have been made to the game, but no notes on the game. You know, what? like a big one is 8-Ball Deluxe, and you're like, okay, so I could collect my bonus over here in the right saucer. Who knows if it has multipliers or not? So if you're going first, you're basically experimenting for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would appreciate notes saying, hey, this is how this is set up. And IFPA has been really good with that lately, so uh, I can't complain about that. I played... Uh, I played a Frontier recently at Sunterm. I don't remember what it was, but it was set on five ball settings where the, the falls bonus does not collect. And I didn't realize it, so I'm sitting there building up multipliers, building up multipliers drain, and I ended up not collecting that bonus. It's like, oh, that would have been nice to know.
1: Yeah, that would be frustrating for sure. It's like a frustration I've had with, oh, I don't know, certain games that have come out where Marty and I have talked about this, where I have no idea what the secret skill shot is. There's no way I can find out unless... I'm really talking about newer games. I wonder why that's such a big thing, and it's all designers do it, it's all companies do it, that they don't give that information in advance. It's something maybe you have to unlock, you have to find, but then once somebody finds it, uh, everyone kind of knows, or at least certainly the tournament players know. I feel it's kind of a disadvantage for people not in the know, and it doesn't make them a better pinball player. To have that knowledge it's just a circumstance that someone passed it along to them or i've been in tournaments where that has happened somebody did something that they knew that no one else knew and i just find that a little frustrating i wish it was kind of more of an even play field but again we're seeing that in a lot of designs
3: yeah like in iron maiden i, I shut that stuff off in tournament mode and uh thank you another thing i did is if there's a multi-ball you're it's hard to get. You're building to it. You're getting to it. You get there and you find out, well, the tournament director shut off the ball save. He's like, wow, that was a waste of time. Uh, so in a, I think at the last Jurassic Park update, we put floors on all the ball savers. So I think taking some control back from these tournament directors who just put everything extra hard without realizing, hey, that was a really hard multi ball to get to. Uh, they should get some reward.
1: He is totally taking a shot at Josh Sharp. I love it. I didn't even have to. Yes. I remember having this conversation with Tim Sexton
3: and Tim was just furious said, I wasted all the time getting to this multi-ball and there was no ball savers like what's the point point? and I was like yeah we should uh, update all our games with a, min- a floor and the ball savers so uh, Tim did that for Black Knight and sure enough at the uh, Colorado tournament Black Knight was there with all its glorious ball savers and the Sharps were like yeah we can't turn those off <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: thank you thank you see this suck it Sharps <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe that should be the the episode title. Episode ten. Suck at shot. Oh,
1: if we ever make final round T shirts, that's it. Famous <laughs> quotes.
3: That's why I remember I texted Tim. Yeah, they said they can't. They can't put the floor on the ball saver. He's like, Yep, perfect.
2: <laughs>
1: good. take. to <laughs> shoot oh, I love
3: shoot, it. shoot that stand up target a hundred times and not get a multi ball with a ball save. It's like, Yeah, no way.
1: It's a good thing Zach only is limited to marketing and has no impact in code or in rules or things like that. So that's good.
3: Phew. Yeah. Yeah. We, we lock him out of the office.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One of the greatest players ever, two games under your belt, a third one coming out soon. Great designer. I think of a musician and if they're somebody who sings and is a songwriter, when I talk to a lot of the musicians, they say, I want to be more known as a songwriter. There was more pride there. What is it for you? Would you like to be known as one of the best players ever or one of the best designers?
3: Hmm. Well, I know certainly you- at this point in my life, I don't play in that many tournaments anymore, so I guess designer, but uh, I've played in tournaments for 20 plus years, so that I'm perfectly happy to pass the torch to Raymond or whoever. You know, Escher, obviously, they, these are all very talented players who are much younger than I am, so as long as they carry the torch, I have no problem giving up that mantle and focusing on uh, being a good designer. Do you...
0: Maybe a hard question for you to answer. Do you see anybody potentially taking over your title?
3: Uh I would say Escher has the best chance because like me, he's been playing since he was a little kid and I think there's a lot to be said about that. I just noticed yeah, if you're when you're growing up, you know, physically, mentally, and you're learning the game of pinball, uh, it seems to just come naturally for him, as it did me as I got older. So uh I'm guessing they're you know, same with uh Jason Zoller, another kid who grew up playing pinball and he played very well at the Colorado tournament so there's definitely something said to be getting them learning at a young age
0: well this is what I've said like Jordan Treadaway is obviously a great player in Australia doesn't play that many tournaments now but the difference with the youth of today God we sound so old is they didn't have to relearn How to play pinball, like I did, and I know a lot of people did, where we were always on the fly, and now we had to adjust to dead-bouncing, live-catching, drop-catching, etc. They only know the new style, so they've already got an advantage over us.
3: Well, plus everything's online now. When, yeah, Pinball 101 was made 11 years ago, none of this was filmed. There was no such thing as tournament cam. Nobody was filming anything. So all these moves that I'm showing back then were like, people are like, oh, that's how you do that. Or I've never seen that before. The, of course, now you you watch a stream or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know how to do that.
1: You're right about Jason Zoller. You're right about Escher and... Who's Jared August. It? Some of these kids, I think of Johannes Ostermeyer. Uh, these people all had somebody older kind of influence them to play and, and really enjoy that. And it's kind of with young people. They're great, but you got to... You got to wonder, they get to a certain age, does their focus go away from playing? Maybe it's school, maybe it's a relationship, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's sports. But uh, once you get past that cusp, I think of you know maybe 2021, 20, if you're still playing pinball, oh yeah, the sky's the limit for these players.
3: Yeah, I think Escher's at the age now. If he hasn't gotten bored of it by now, he's not going to.
1: Well, Marty, we've tied him up long enough. I'm sure he's probably got some Chicago deep dish pizza or something to eat right now. <laughs> and uh, That's the worst pizza. You don't, you like, don't it? like it?
3: No.
0: Oh, I loved it. I went to, what was it, Lou Malnati's or something?
1: I Marty like really Lou used. Malnati's,
3: but I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay.
1: It's not something you would eat every week. I mean, I would, but uh, most people wouldn't. Uh, it's it's different. It's not exactly pizza, but it's it's like a pie. It's casserole. Yeah, it's a casserole.
0: <laughs> it is yeah
1: we will let you go because it's kind of dinner time when we're recording this and thanks very much and looking forward to game number three and hopefully seeing you soon and uh, back at Stern when everything's all safe and sound and I uh, appreciate you coming on the program
3: alright no problem thanks guys so there we go
0: that was Keith Elwin what did we learn Jeff?
1: apparently I have no idea what his next game no, is sorry I, no idea this episode was all clickbait sorry so thanks for your click guys we will make it up to you in the second half, I promise. Some big, big news.
0: Absolutely. The, the timing of that interview was very interesting as well because we recorded that before the Jurassic Park Topper was announced.
1: Good point. We didn't talk about it in the interview because we didn't know about it. So mm. let's talk about it now. Uh, a lot of controversy, too. People saying $600 for a piece of plastic, a new mode, this, that, that. My thoughts on it are, you know what? I don't care what any company comes out with. It's up to you, the consumer, to decide whether you love it or whether you don't like it, whether you want to buy it or whether you don't buy it. doesn't matter to me. Not everything is made for me. I have yet to buy any topper, but that doesn't mean I don't think they're beautiful or add to a collection. It's just not personally for me, but I'm not going to knock anybody who has to have that for their machine.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. <sighs> I think, again, it's a case of, well, if I don't like it and I'm angry, I want you to be angry about it as well. Um, I like toppers when they come with a machine. That That's fine. They're great. I don't feel I need to have a topper. My initial thoughts on this were probably the same as everybody else. I'm like, oh, that's $600, which is $1,000 Australian money when, when it's landed. That's a lot of money for what is a relatively simple design. I don't think that was the real kicker for people. The real kicker was, and you get a bonus mode for it. And people are like, well, now this is DLC. You're the electronic arts of of pinball. And I I think if you've listened to enough podcasts with people from Stern, I think the writing's been on the wall. This kind of model has been coming for some time. The first real inkling of it was with the UV kit for Stranger Things. Now this. At some stage, I think Stern were always going to go down this path, and they were going to have to deal with the pain of transitioning to this new world.
1: Is it a pain? I hear they're selling quite well. And the markup is obviously probably... I, I I can't say what the markup is. I have no idea. There's obviously some profitability for Stern and the distributors on this. But again... If you like it, buy it. If you don't, no big deal. Do I think it's great? Uh, The the thing I have a problem with is, with any topper, is, is the artist involved? Is the designer involved? The code maker? Are they involved now if you've got something that actually changes the game? If they're not, I might have a problem with that. And I don't know if they are or if they aren't. But if I produce to you, Marty, here's my painting. I hope you like it. It's called the Mona Lisa. And you go, that's great. I'm going to put it in the Louvre in France. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, by the way, I'm just going to add a little bit of lipstick and make her smile just a little bit more. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I presented to you. You've changed it. That's maybe where I have an issue, if in case. I haven't heard and I should ask, but again, I'm just, I'm wondering from what I hear about the mode, it doesn't really change the game significantly, but a guy like Keith, for example, would be a guy who designed the rules, designed the play field. I would include... Those people, designers and codemakers, in something that has downloadable content for a game. And I don't know that they haven't.
0: Well, look, this is the whole thing. What, what is the reality here? A majority of people actually happy with this, or are the majority of people unhappy? If you look at social media, the majority of people are unhappy. But I've also heard that they're selling, well... And people that are getting them enjoy them. And, you know, someone you and I know, a mutual friend reached out and said that they're getting them because they like the look of it. One thing I don't want to do is say to that person, you suck. You suck because yeah. you like something that I don't like. Not cool. That's not cool.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, thank God we all have different tastes. If there's a market for things, they'll sell. And this is going to sell whether you like it or not. So there you go
0: i tell you the other thing it really probably why it caused such a stir as well is we're kind of on the back of the Black Knight topper which arguably is the best topper that's ever been made and you look at these two side by side and you think well where's the value and I'm putting words in Stern's mouth but they might say well the value is in the extra mode that you get and
1: it has to be because visually it's certainly not there
0: well that's exactly right. And mm, so it's, it's all about value, and value is very subjective. Value is different to different people.
1: You're right. I mean, do you want visual? I, I'll give you four toppers. You tell me your ranking of the four toppers. Okay. I'll throw in another one, five. Okay. Marty's rankings. Marty's top five. Here we go. Orbiter Albert does top three, so we're not stealing his bit. Okay. Jurassic Park. Attack from Mars from Chicago Gaming Company. Star Wars with R2-D2. The Black Knight Sword of Rage. And I'll go old school, fishtails. Rank them for me, top to bottom. For Marty.
0: For me, top would be Black Knight. Okay. Second would be Attack from Mars. Look, again, it's just an alien that bobs up and down, but the way it does it, the way it interacts with the machine and the lighting on it is very effective. I would then say probably fishtails, even though it's way too noisy and it happens too often. Um, what were the other two?
1: Star Wars and Jurassic Park.
0: I would then say Star Wars, mainly because, yes, it's it's R2-D2 and it moves, but it's just not big enough. It's not grand enough. It doesn't have enough presence. It's just kind of okay. And then I would put Jurassic Park at the bottom.
1: So a topper is more about visual for you than it is about the downloadable content. Oh, for sure. I'm pretty much the same as you on those. Maybe flip-flop a couple there. I The one thing I'll say about fishtails is... When Python, Angelo, put that on, that was before the talking fish that used to be on the wall, the singing fish. Oh, really? And basically, it was, he puts this on the machine and then those fish sell like wildfire. Pretty ingenious. You're right about how loud it is. I have a fishtails. It has never been plugged in. The topper has never been plugged in in my house because of how loud it is. Yeah. But it is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it, it looks good, but happens, it's too loud and it happens too often.
1: That Black Knight, when I first saw that, whoo, that is a topper. That, it just, yeah.
0: I've never seen one in person. I've just seen videos of it and it's everything you would want a topper
1: to be. So that being said, okay, Jurassic Park's now got downloadable content. Are they going to have updates now where you buy that Black Knight topper if they are still for sale with modes?
0: For Black Knight as well.
1: What's preventing them to go, here's a code update. If you've got a topper.
0: Yeah, well.
1: I guess it really depends on if those toppers are available. They're not going to, put the time and research into creating a mode if they can't sell the product. But it, I,
0: I, I would also argue that if Black Knight came out as it is and they said it comes with an exclusive mode as well...
1: Everyone buys it.
0: I think people would be okay with that because the topper itself, the physical topper, looks like value. Interesting. Mm. I mean, the, this, is, this is an argument that I think a lot of people have around pros to premiums as well. You know, what's the value in paying that extra? Some people will look at it and say, well, let's have a look at what it would have cost to put this together and allow a bit of markup and that's a dollar value that it should be. That's not necessarily the way you sort of look at these things because the actual development of a pinball machine is in its entirety and you're trying to recover your costs and make a profit for the overall project.
1: Years ago I used to get pissed off when I would see somebody on Pinside or Craigslist or Kijiji or Gumtree, is that what it is there in Australia? Yes, it is. So any of these resale websites, eBay, and people would put a game up and it would be, wait a minute, that's a ridiculous price. I used to get pissed off at that too. And then someone brought it to my attention, "Hey, you ask that price. If you get it, great. Then that's what it's worth. If no one buys it, it's not worth that much." Correct? That kind of changed my thinking of that.
0: You never advertise your lowest price, do you?
1: No. Right. It's part of negotiating.
0: It's opportunity. You try to see how much you're going to get for it and you bring it down if you're really serious about selling it. That's all.
1: So while we're on the topic of Jurassic Park and toppers and modes, we did ask the question last week about proper ways to play games. And we did get a pretty good response. We had to check their credentials to make sure they knew what the hell they were talking <laughs> about. We're not going to let anybody say, oh, here's how you play the game if they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Like, so we had to do some research. It took a while. We found out that this person does in fact know a little bit about pinball. So we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. We got a response from Raymond Davidson, who according to IFPA is the number one player in the world. So, okay, we'll take his advice.
0: Might know a thing or two. So it was Michael Peterson, we mentioned it before, so he wrote into us wanting to know sort of like the the simple ways to be able to get to a game to get some points up.
1: Ray Day gave us some pretty good suggestions. What do we have here?
0: Okay, so step one, capture a dinosaur. Okay, that's fair enough. And step two, play system boot, which is one of the control room modes. You need to capture a dinosaur to be able to light the control room first, so that's why you do that. Then play Raptor, Tribal. He said then, step four is play virus attack if you're good at the control room shot. Restore power if chaos is lit. And five, play your T-Rex if you haven't already, then chaos. Meanwhile, keep marching through
1: the paddocks. Well, that sounds easy. Yeah. Wizard mode, here I come.
0: Here I come. Billion points. Easy. (laughs) That's. But you know what? I, I was sort of reading this. I was going, oh, actually that does actually make a logical sense and it comes back to what we were saying I know I'm sort of backtracking a bit on what we're saying about Guardians of the Galaxy is
1: I was just thinking that
0: I know you were because it's like well if you've got orb multi-ball almost ready to go bring in a mode that requires you to hit the orb shot you know what I mean? So that's what this order is. It's play a dinosaur, get your control room mode. Sure. Once you've done that, get your Raptor, which is on the left, then another control room mode, and then play your t T-Rex. It, it, they, they sort of all logically follow each other.
1: I don't have as much time on Jurassic Park as you do, having it at home, uh, but some great suggestions there. And the one that I was missing was Raptor Multiball. I wasn't going for it. And when he says how important it is, I'm like, okay, well, that's my new mode of attack.
0: Yeah, Raptor's an interesting one because it is a fairly dangerous shot. Always backhand it from the left flipper if you can. It's, it's really quite close to the flippers, so it can actually be seen to be quite dangerous, particularly if you've got the premium LA that's got the gate that, that comes up and down. Makes sense.
1: Hopefully that will help you in your next competition, and that could be ICR, or who knows if things are going to open up soon. I know more states are opening up, more countries are certainly like New Zealand at the time of this recording is in great shape as far as COVID-19, Australia as well. So I don't know where we are globally. And we did have Josh Sharp kind of mentioned this last week about IFBA coming back for sanctioning competitions. I would guess that we're still a little bit away from that, probably not in July but they're always monitoring the situation and taking into account all of the country director and state and provincial directors and whether they feel you know competitions and the crowds that happen at these competitions are in some sort of safe mode and we can, we can start again but when you look at the number of competitions on IFPA you know when you think of something like Pinburg that's a thousand people going to be tough to do with social distancing and that many people, I get it. But most of the competitions on IFPA are not that size. In fact, they're probably 20 people or less.
0: Yeah, I'd say for the most part. And remembering that the IFPA's position in this was they didn't want to be seen that they were influencing people to be putting themselves in danger. So the the reverse of that is when do they feel that they're in a position to say, okay? we can endorse tournaments again because they're they're happening anyway, and it's the right time, and we're not going to feel bad for putting people in danger. If that makes sense.
1: I think Josh, boy, this 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 one hurts. This really hurts. Mm-hmm. You're going to take pay a, a compliment take, to let, Josh let, again. Let me take let me take a deep <laughs> breath here. I was like, okay. I think Josh Sharp is doing an excellent job by asking other people their suggestions and what it's like in their territories, and that's why we're seeing the decision. Wisely done by IFPA. Oh, that hurt. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That hurt to say.
0: Mm -hmm. Shaking his responsibility is kind of what you're saying.
1: Okay, yeah, okay, thank you. (laughs) Let's bring it back, yeah. (laughs) Back in the room. Sitting on the fence, Josh. You can't (laughs) decide for yourself. You know, pass the buck. All right. Well, everybody else said they didn't want them, so, you know. That's your leader. There you go. There
0: you go. What would you do? If you were actually president of the IFPA, what decision would you make, Jeff?
1: Well, I am the people's president. You are? And I would... I would actually suggest the exact same thing. You know, Josh and I joked in KID about this before, but I was very proud and happy to see things like the Women's Advisory Board come into place, Uh, that they've done some amazing things and continue to do amazing things. It will certainly make pinball better. So that was a great initiative. not saying it was my suggestion but it was (laughs) suggested before it happened anyway that that aside anyway i I love this decision when it comes to covid yeah that in chicago illinois he certainly can't or me here outside of toronto ontario cannot figure out what everyone else is like and what the situation is there so you have to rely on those state country directors to to make those decisions for you i think it's brilliant
0: we don't we don't know how long it's going to take but People will make a decision. You will all hear about it probably the same time as we do. So I think we're all getting a bit little bit stir crazy and we just want to play some pinball.
1: Well, we want to get out there. We wanna we wanna win some awards, we wanna win some prizes and stuff, which brings us to our sponsor of the week. A proper one. <laughs> it is actually a proper one, in fact. So please, all jokes aside, our sponsor of the week is Ulick Store. I know them, you should know them too, when it comes to pin blades trophies, all kinds of wonderful accessories for pinball events, go to Ulick Store. In fact, Ulick Store was a very proud sponsor of the Pinball Profile World Tour, which Went to four different countries, 10 different places, and ULIC store provided wonderful shirts and trophies. And I can't say enough about them. I met them years ago at Pinball at the Zoo in 2017, their first ever show in Michigan. And it's now become quite the business. And I know a lot of other leagues use them as well. I don't know what the hell ULIC stands for, but that's just me.
0: I do. It stands for Unique Laser Engraving and Keepsake
1: Incorporated. So, well, that makes it even better.
0: It just, and I actually have. I, I won a tournament, and it was one of Ryan C.'s tournaments. And I have one of the trophies made by Ulex Store. It's fantastic. It's sort of perspex, and it lights up. It, it looks great. I think they do
1: good stuff. Ulex Store, our sponsor of the week here on Episode 10 of the Final Round Pinball Podcast. Now, what are we going to do with our sponsor? What can we do? They make trophies. Trophies. Hmm. They make swag. Hmm. Let me think. Oh, you could know you what? Do? Hmm. I know the IFPA really isn't running sanctioned events right now. We've seen all kinds of cancellations. What can we at Final Round do to make pinball better for everyone? We already are by voicing the show, but what else can we do is what, what I'm, I'm trying to say.
0: Well, isn't Pinberg meant to be on around about this time?
1: Yeah, coming up in early July.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, maybe we can do a. Pinberg-style tournament
1: of some kind. Let's do it, Marty! <laughs> <laughs> I love it! Let's, you know what? We did an earlier kind of trivia contest. We had Ryan Kuiper win the final round PinFest Championship. We had Tracy Lindbergh win the final round Yegpin Championship. It's time to award the final round Pinberg Champion. With proper
0: prizes this time.
1: From Ulec's (laughs) store. From (laughs)
0: store. There you go, everybody. It's all just come together. So we are. We are going to do another trivia show. Not like the last one. There will be some differences, Jeff.
1: Thank God for that. In the sense that, you know, when we did it on episode 7... We were kind of COVID crazy. We were stuck in our homes. Not that we <laughs> still aren't, but yeah. we just needed to let our hair down a little bit, and we we all had a, a good time. It was kind of what you saw at competitions when people would, you know, after a competition, have a few drinks and yuck it up. Well, that's what that show was. We're going to tone it down because we know replay effects and Pinburg is a family show, so there'll be no shenanigans, no swearing. We want to invite a lot of you listening to this program to play in the final round. Pinburg competition so
0: how do people get involved jeff
1: shit i knew you were gonna ask that <laughs> um, there are two ways to do this number one go to our facebook page like our final round pinball page or go to our instagram and like final round pinball let us know that you are interested in playing in this event this contest will air funny enough on a special Edition episode to be released on Friday, July 10th, which is when Pinberg would have happened. We will record that show on Friday, July 3rd. So if you're available between 8 and 11 p.m. Eastern, which in Australia I think is 10 a.m. to 1 p.m.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. This helps us with our West Coast people. This helps us, kind of screws the european Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> unless you want to get up early in the morning. Listen, I can't help the fact that time's there. How do you say sorry in every European country? Sorry, uh, you know, I apologize, but uh, we have to make it convenient for the hosts of the show. So again, we'll record on Friday, July 3rd, between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern. If you're available, let us know on those social media links and also our email, which I always forget.
0: FinalRampInBall at gmail.com
1: We will randomly select 32 people which is a lot more than we did in episode 7. Yeah. Oh, the editing. But this will be good. 32 people will participate and somebody will be crowned the final round Pinberg champion with a lovely trophy from Ulick's store. Thank you, Ulik. We will even have an A and a B champion. Okay. You want to plan it, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I
0: wish I was editing this episode. Wow.
1: You dick. <laughs> but
0: we will also be having some special guests on the episode as well.
1: so I think you'll enjoy this. You'll enjoy this one. Because if you've ever been to Pinburg, you play in banks of four. So we're going to have our four contestants. We're going to have eight groups of four play in a group of four and they're going to play on a modern machine. They're going to play on a solid state. They're going to play on an EM and a miscellaneous one that I think you'll enjoy. So uh, you have to brush up on your trivia. It'll be kind of multiple choice. It's going to be fun. So... We'll do that on Zoom or Skype. It's going to be a lot of fun, and that will air on a special episode on Friday, July 10th.
0: Looking forward to it.
1: We'll give more information again on our Facebook page and on our Instagram page uh, if you would like to participate in the final round Pinberg Championship.
0: Awesome. So thanks again to our sponsor, Ulex Store, for providing the trophies for this.
1: I love what Leanne and David have done at Ulix Store. They provide so much enjoyment for people, some lovely keepsakes. Even Marty has a Ulix Store trophy. It's a great sponsor. Don't get me wrong. Love the sponsor, especially that it's legit. But we're now into 10 episodes, all right? Double digits means double sponsors, our second sponsor of the week. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh,
0: I, it just amazes me, the the companies that are reaching out to us to be a part of Final Round and use us as a vehicle to advertise their business.
1: We apologize in advance. Uh, we do a heavy screening process. Not everyone is up to snuff to be a Final Round pinball podcast. In fact, we're turning down money because it's only the best for our listeners and our guests. Which brings us to our second sponsor of the week, the Emirates Palace in Abu Dhabi.
0: Located in a dazzling natural bay, Emirates Palace is the perfect destination offering a pristine private beach and marina. With its stunning Arabian interiors and legendary five-star service, the resort brings a new experience of luxury to the heart of Abu Dhabi.
1: Costing $3 billion to build chump change for Final Round Pinball Podcast, Emirates Palace has 394 grand rooms and suites. Plus marble imported from 13 different countries. If your hotel has marble imported from less than 10 countries, you're staying at a dump.
0: All guests of Final Round Pinball Podcast stay at Emirates Palace in Abu Dhabi.
1: Transportation, airfare, incidentals not included.
0: So going back to what we spoke about with Jeff, when it comes to pinball etiquette, we did, obviously, we got that email from Jesse. Thank you very much for writing in. Who's relatively new to pinball competitions, wanting to know... Some things, the do's and don'ts when it comes to pinball etiquette. We obviously spoke to Keith and mentioned don't yell as you're playing. One of my pet hates. What are some other things that that you would give as tips to somebody when it comes to pinball etiquette?
1: I know there's an urge to want to help others, but if people aren't asking for help, it can be quite offensive if you offer help and they didn't ask.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I know there are a lot of good intentions, but if somebody doesn't ask, they might perceive that you think they don't know how to play pinball and that can be offensive.
0: Uh, Do you know what? There's a double-edged sword here as well because I think sometimes you may even ask somebody what the rules are for a machine and they won't want to tell you and that becomes a really awkward situation as well. So I think for the most part, people are going to be very helpful, but it can get into some very awkward situations.
1: Whenever I've been asked... I always offer really what somebody once suggested to me. And I go to pintips.net and I'll suggest that. Or we had Corey Hulse on his pinballspinner.com. Those are great sources. And even in competition, you know, here's all the information. Am I going to tell them the order of here's what you do in guardians? No. Cause a guy like Marty will get pissed off. Like, I'll play it any way I want. I (laughs) got to get this hand around. We've heard that.
0: That's exactly how I speak. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: You made fun of me the way I spoke last week. Don't think I didn't forget. <laughs>
0: you don't forget anything.
1: <laughs> I have no problem offering that when somebody asks me, here's the sites I go to. You still have to execute it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true.
1: I'm not going to tell them the order of here's what I need to do or you should stack this and that because that's different. But uh, that's the one thing I see at a lot of competitions that can be considered poor etiquette.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, here's another thing of etiquette that I would say hang around your machine when you're playing a tournament if you want to get a beer i i, I get that beer is really important but it's a golf club you know what i mean like i think being ready for your turn is more important than ordering a beer or getting a beer or ordering your lunch at the bar be there for your machine you're there to play in a tournament be there because What you've got to understand is there's usually three other people that are playing that same machine. They're all in the zone. That stuff can really take people out of the zone, irritate them, and put them off the game. Some people might want to do that intentionally. That's up to you. But just hang around your game until the round is over.
1: Most TDs have a time factor in the rules. If you're not there at such and such a time, your balls may be plunged. I think that's a great rule. And I've had it happen to me too. In fact, here's a story you've never heard before, Marty. Ever, ever, ever. Mm -hmm. At the Pinball Profile World Tour event in Melbourne, I also walked away from a game and it was a flip frenzy. Well, you can't do that. So the person plunged the balls and rightfully so. Totally agree. Obviously, I lost the game. I wound up winning the tournament. Again, Mm -hmm. a sidebar. doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Haven't heard. But anyway... That you have to do that, especially in these type of flip frenzy tournaments where it's time sensitive. Pinberg has a grace period, especially I think right after the dinner break that you need to be back by such such time, and if you're not, sorry, you're getting a zero there, So I didn't even think about that when we were thinking about etiquette. You're bang on there,
0: mm. yeah, well, look as a as a t d it's frustrating for me because I'm getting all these other players around me. This is not just people in the middle of a game, but when a round's about to start sort of saying we're ready to go all the other groups have started we want to start our game where is our fourth player I don't know well they're out having a smoke or they're out getting a beer and just understand that these tournaments need to run to a certain time
1: they're out watching Night at the Roxbury I know people do that <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh Will Ferrell he's a comedy genius
1: how dare you oh people in San Diego are pissed
0: I don't know is that where he's from
1: It's a great reference from Anchorman, but again, over your head.
0: Yeah, correct.
1: Ah.
0: Okay, here's here's another one I'm going to put out there. If you have a bad ball or you have a bad break or even a bad game, don't scream at the top of your lungs when you've got somebody mid-game on the machine next to you, is what I would say.
1: I have seen many TDs give yellow cards, and if it happens the second time, a red card, as in disqualification. I absolutely agree. We're all there trying to enjoy this wonderful hobby. It's not all about you, and you have to be respectful of other players and their space. Good point, Marty. Boy, you're good at this. I've got another one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a TD. You're the Emily Post of Pinball Etiquette.
0: I really am, aren't I? So, it, it, it's similar in that respect the space of others. That is... I would say, in the middle of your game, but also especially at the end of your game, don't freaking tilt the machine so it it's right into somebody that's playing next to you. You know what I mean? Like there's some people that right at the end of the game, they get so angry that just, you know, shove the machine, but there's people around you playing. That's just not
1: cool. Not only that, if you're playing in a multiplayer game, you're affecting that tilt bob for the next player.
0: Yeah, correct. I, I, and that's kind of what I'm what I was saying. Like sometimes I know in the middle of a game, it's it's fine, and you're playing with your own game because if you do do a tilt-through, you're going to be disqualified anyway, and that other person with the compensation ball. But I've just said a number of times at the end of a game, someone's on their player four, right then they'll just move the machine right at the end because there's no chance that they're going to win. But there's people next door playing as well. Just be mindful that that's putting them off as well.
1: I've got to come to one of your tournaments, whether it's the big Melbourne Silver Ball tournament or any of your tournaments, and just read your rules and look at the rule number one. It says... Don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then an asterisk and then just a ton of footnotes. A hundred
0: lines. Because there's another one that's kind of similar to that as well. And this is, this is probably for TDs as well. And that is, if at all possible, if there's a ball stuck or anything that needs to be done on a machine, wait for the players on either side of that machine to finish their ball, because there's nothing more distracting than you playing your ball and having a machine next to you. The play field lift up; it's very distracting.
1: And the person goes in between to to kind of yep, yep. relieve a stuck ball. Yeah, I hate shitting on volunteers for helping and stuff like that. So it's likely an honest mistake, and they're just trying to resolve the problem as quickly as possible. But yeah, if you're if you're volunteering as a tech as a TD, if you can wait, that's a that's a wonderful piece of advice. Boy, you're. A wealth of knowledge today, Marty.
0: Well, some of these are I've actually made the mistakes myself. So so that one in particular, where someone's like, got to stop all, it's like, okay, cool, I'm just going to go over there, I'm going to fix it. And then as I've started to fix it, I've looked at the person next to me and I've gone, oh, damn, sorry, uh, forgot. We just, yeah, you know, we want to do the right thing. We want to resolve these things quickly. But you've just got to take the moment to go, okay, what's happening around? How is this affecting other people? And then go when the time is right.
1: I think win or lose, great etiquette is always Thank the person you're playing with. Yeah, agreed. It goes one step further. If you go to any tournament or anybody's home for a league night, let's say, you better remember your P's and Q's and thank the people that make this possible. Because without it, pinball doesn't grow and hosts of leagues are like, why bother? You know, people kind of came in, they ate my food, they played my games. Not one freaking thank you. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The same for TDs, right? Go out of your way to thank the volunteers, the TDs, the people that put this together.
0: Yeah, especially. And and if you get knocked out of a tournament, don't just turn around and walk out. People notice that stuff.
1: Further to what I was just saying, uh, offer to volunteer. See what it's like on the other side, too. And you'll appreciate the tournaments you play in a lot more.
0: Yep, agreed. There's so much more to, to write about, but... We haven't got another hour to go. So I think in future episodes, if we think of more etiquette, we will bring it up. But hopefully, Jesse, that answers some of the questions for you.
1: So Marty and I recorded our final round pinball podcast, obviously in different segments. We did our Keith Elwin interview almost a couple weeks ago now. And then we had our generic talk. But recently, we lost a pinball legend. And it breaks my heart to say that Steve Epstein is no longer with us, but His legacy and what he has meant to pinball the community to competitions will live on forever and what a treasure it has been for any of us that have gotten to know Steve I know unfortunately Marty it was uh, a void for you too but you certainly know what he's meant to pinball
0: this is what's what's really interesting about this this guy is that I've not met him but I've heard so much about him and I know whom he is because of the, the that documentary Special When Lit and what really struck me through that was how important this person was to the pinball community like he was huge when he had the Broadway Arcade it was he was rock star but also what really stood out for me was watching that documentary when he was talking about because remember the, the documentary came out in 2009 so pinball was in a bit of a slump and he was, he was talking about the, the pinball community and what it was and what it was now, And he had a bit of a, a tear in his eye. And I just remember to myself thinking, how invested this person is in the pinball community and what he did to make other people's lives more enjoyable through pinball.
1: An absolute labor of love. And there are not many people like Steve Epstein and I wish there were more people, but if you can learn more about Steve, whether it's special and lit, which you're right, is is heartbreaking at times. There on the IFPA website, I posted a bunch of different links of great interviews, videos, him recently at IAPA, and some great news articles about what he did at Broadway Arcade. The birth of Papa with Roger Sharp. I have to tell you personally, when I saw him at Pinburg last year, I was through the moon because I knew exactly what this man meant. That was the first time I had met him. Knew about him before through Special and through Broadway Arcade, through Papa History. I wanted to spend as much time as possible with Steve, and he was so gracious. In fact, I was talking to Steve, and sure enough, Roger Sharp came up too, and the three of us were just talking, and everything else didn't matter. I was just trying to absorb as much as I could. And for me, losing a legend like that uh, breaks my heart. I, I think of the Epstein family and, and the friends of Steve, but. I feel we were given a gift and to me personally, in the four years of me being in pinball podcasting, one of my proudest moments. And I'm really trying not to do a plug here because I really want you to see all those articles on IFPA Pinball. But to me personally, when I sat down with Steve on Pinball Profile and did an hour plus and could have done five hours with Steve, it meant a lot to me. And especially now to capture what he was all about what he stood for, what he meant to competition pinball, to the IFPA, to PAPA, to Broadway Arcade, to the birth of modern pinball, all of those things. I'm proud that I was able to capture that. It's a tough listen to now with him gone, but I do want to share one more thing with you if I can, Marty.
0: Yep, of course you can.
1: This was recorded at the last time I saw Steve Epstein and it was in Florida, it was following IAPA and it was right before Free Play Florida. And Steve actually showed up at one of my world tour events. And I was shocked that he was there. He wasn't even playing, so he was just showing up. Again, his passion for pinball and the community. And of course I whip out my phone, I'm like, Steve, can I talk to you for a second? And this is my last conversation with Steve, but it shows you the character of who he is and how he wanted to give back to pinball. Steve Epstein's here. We're at the Pinball Profile World
2: Tour event at the district Eat and Play here just outside of Orlando. And thanks very much for showing up. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I've really been invigorated by all the great positive things that have been happening with all the great people that are just seem to be engrossing themselves and getting themselves into pinball again. Uh, I think it's a a world of openings that's just going to blossom. And I think we really are in a way at the very beginning of something that's going to be huge.
1: Well, this event tonight is an event that we're raising money for Project Pinball. We're going to do very, very well. We're going to give away a bunch of raffle tickets. We've got some other sponsors on board too, but I know Project Pinball means a lot to you too.
2: It absolutely does. I, I am I'm so motivated by the fact that Daniel's been able to get 46 hospitals with pinball machines. I think it's the greatest type of thing to have kids and, and adults being introduced in environments where they're really not being in a, very positive but pinball creates an environment that will help them emotionally and physically and also get people to play pinball again.
1: The awareness is great and it's spreading around all across north america people buy tickets all over the world too for this event and you know we're going to even try to get a machine up in canada in 2020 with the help of daniel and project i'm
2: more than happy to hear that and i i hope to be able to help and, and do whatever i can in the future to make sure that you know this project stays sound and stays current and stays big steve i gotta tell you
1: here in 2019 it's been great to see you at events to see you at pinberg to see you here at iapa and pre-play florida is that kind of the goal steve epstein's back
2: well i hope hopefully i am i hope i can play well enough to start really representing what i used to be able to do and i'm practicing a lot and i'm going to be at a lot of tournaments from now on
1: love hearing that great to see you as always thank you steve thank you jeff well that's it for another edition of the final round pinball podcast thank you very much for listening my name is jeff teolis
0: my name is martin robbins
1: Marty, where can people find us?
0: They can find us on Facebook and also on Instagram. And you can email us at phonearoundpinball at gmail.com.
1: We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, stay safe, love one another, and uh, thanks for listening.
3: Thanks, everyone.